0: Welcome to Kids Doc Talk with Dr. Jenny. Today's guest is Dr. Tefila Steiner talking to us about pediatric eye conditions. Dr. Steiner is a fellowship trained pediatric ophthalmologist and adults for business surgeon. A native of New York and New Jersey, Dr. Steiner graduated from Yeshiva University's Stern College for Women. She obtained her medical degree at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and completed her internship at Abington Hospital and ophthalmology residency at Northwell Health. She was selected as chief resident in her final year and then went on to complete her pediatric ophthalmology fellowship at Montefiore Medical Center. She specialized in pediatric ophthalmology and adults for business. In her spare time, she loves cooking, baking, and riding her Peloton bike. Welcome, Dr. Steiner. Welcome to Kids Doc. Talk with Dr. Jenny. Dr. Jenny is a board-certified pediatrician and is the director of telemedicine at Pediatric Associates. Hi, Dr. Steiner. Thank you so much and welcome. Oh, thank you so much for
1: having me. I'm really happy to be here, Dr. Berkovich.
0: Thank you. All right. I'm excited to talk about all eye, eye-related things. So you are a pediatric ophthalmologist. So before we talk about what you do, tell us what, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? And how is that different from an optometrist?
1: So that's actually a really great question. And a lot of people don't know the difference between the two. So an ophthalmologist means that the doctor went to medical school and we are trained in all, so we go to medical school for four years and then we uh, do an intern year in general medicine. And then for three years, we train in all eye conditions, from children to older people, every type of eye disease, and we are trained to do surgery. And then I would say the majority of people after training go on to do a fellowship, which is further sub-specialization in the eye. And so I did training in pediatric ophthalmology and adult business. So I specialize in children. So I see children in the office from zero to 18 years old, and adults who have an eye misalignment. And the way that we differ from optometrists is that optometrists, they also go to uh, postgraduate school after college for four years where they learn everything about the eye. And they're really great at refracting and doing contact lenses and basic eye exams, but they are not trained in doing surgery on the eye. Okay. All right. Fantastic. So tell us some of the typical things that you see. What are some common conditions that you see kids for? Sure. That's a great question. So let's start with the babies. The A lot of babies that we see, um, many of them have tear duct obstructions, which is very common. About 7 to 9% of babies that are born are born with tearing of the eye, which Thankfully, 90% of that resolves on its own by the time a baby's one years old. So that's something very commonly that we see. We also see babies who might not have a good red reflex that the pediatrician sends to us because uh, maybe there's a cataract uh, developing or something is obstructing the view or the pediatrician doesn't see a good red reflex. And sometimes we see babies that fail basic eye screening tests. Uh, Some pediatricians start screening the babies at one and two years old. So if there is any kind of refractive error, we see babies like that as well. And then as children get a little bit older, we see children for eye misalignments, meaning the parents might notice that their child's eyes are crossing, going in towards the nose or drifting out towards the ears. We see children for... um, Basic eye exams, maybe the parents notice that the children are standing close to the TV, or the teachers are telling the parents that the child is struggling in school, they're squinting, they can't see the board. We also see children a lot for headaches. You know, you always want to make sure that there's no eye component to the headache. Um, uh, those are a lot of the types of things that we see. Okay, so you mentioned
0: babies, and you know, as a general pediatrician, when I think of babies and eyes, obviously, the first thing I think of is, is red reflex, right? We know that's super important. Um, sometimes, like we notice, right, eye laziness, or kind of misalignment, as you called it. Um, mm-hmm. What talk, talk to me a little bit about like the typical development, normal development of vision in babies, do babies start seeing right away? Are they born seeing exactly what we're seeing? And um, how does that kind of develop as they grow?
1: That's actually a really great question. I get that a lot. So babies are not born knowing how to see you actually learn how to see. So that's why if there's any issues that might be obstructing the vision, you want to address it right away because the first few months of life are really crucial in vision development. You know, we're not babies. So we don't, we, it's not like we could ask a baby, Oh, do you see the big letter E on the chart? But A lot of the studies show that babies probably see around like the big letter E at birth, around the 2400 line. And they see a lot of black and white, not so much color. Color develops as they get older. And it's very typical. This is also something that I get asked a lot. It's very typical for babies, for their eyes to be misaligned up until two to three months of life. And the reason for that is because they are learning how to see. Things are not really uh, in sync with each other. So sometimes parents get nervous. They come in when the baby's maybe six weeks old and they say, well, they're not really following me or their eyes are looking cross-eyed. And you know, if there's no ocular pathology on the exam, we usually give reassurance because things sort of um, tend to uh, correct itself as the baby gets a little bit older. But if a baby still has, let's say, an eye misalignment at three or four months old, that's persistent, then we definitely would say come into the office for us to check it on out. Okay. So when do you say, like, when do
0: we think babies have the same sort of expected to have the same acuity vision that, that we do in adulthood? When should I expect the baby to seek exactly the same thing that I'm seeing with colors and all of that? Do we know that?
1: Probably within the first year of life. But the thing is, You know, as adults, we have to understand that we use our vision for things in the distance and for things up close. But babies, their entire world is everything at near. So we wanna make sure they're able to see things at near. So what do I mean by that? I'll give you an example. Let's say we have a baby that comes in, they fail their vision screen and they're a little bit nearsighted, uh, which is called myopia, that's the medical term, which means you could see up close, but not far away. We might not necessarily give that child who's a little bit nearsighted glasses because we need to make sure that they could see things up close. They're not using their distance vision until they go to, let's say, VPK or kindergarten, probably within the first year, first year of life, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right.
0: And so that brings me, I think, to, to vision screening and the importance of vision screening. So you keep mentioning babies and vision screening, babies and vision screening. And so I think that's not necessarily organic to some people. When I think of vision screening, I think of like school age kids when they can actually tell me, right, what it is that they're seeing and I can assess. Um, assess if there's any kind of deficit, so tell me a little bit about how vision screening works, especially younger sure. babies, and sure. how valuable is it for us to be doing
1: early on? Oh, that, oh my goodness! It's it's early intervention. It's huge. So, we are very blessed that we have technology that we didn't have, um, you know, 30 years ago or 20 years ago, where a lot of the pediatricians in the office, as you know, there's a special machinery could take a picture of the eyes and it comes up with sort of like a basic prescription of what that child has. They're not always 100% accurate, but it's a really good starting point because it can catch a lot of issues. See, the thing is with children is that if they're not seeing clearly, the majority of the time, they don't realize that they're not seeing clearly. So parents usually say to me, but my child wasn't complaining. I didn't know, and it's because the child doesn't realize that they weren't seeing clearly. So when we do the, when the pediatrician does a vision screening, where they take that picture of the eyes to see, oh, does the child need glasses or not? It picks up on a lot of issues. And we always recommend that children should have their first eye exam anywhere between three to five years old, especially before they start school, because we want our children to succeed in school. And it's very hard to succeed in school if you are are not seeing well. Now, we also say that if a parent or pediatrician has a concern before the age of three to of course come in to be evaluated, but definitely it is so important for a child to have a basic, even a baseline evaluation because we want to, if they need glasses, we wanna intervene at a young age to make sure that the child develops good vision. And I'll just, I'll give you an example. And I've seen this, unfortunately, way too many times where I've seen 10, 11, 12, 13 year old children come in and the parents have said that the child has never complained about having any eye problems before. And one of the eyes is considered amblyopic or poor vision. It's a lazy eye. And that child, unfortunately, has a blind eye where they see very poorly. And if if there was intervention when the child was younger, it could have been avoided. Wow.
0: That's very powerful. So let me ask you in terms of referring and referring early, which sounds like is yeah. critical, how do we know? Do we always need to be referring to a pediatric ophthalmologist or can we sometimes start with an optometrist to have the child evaluated? And then if there's any kind of concern for
1: abnormality, then then we escalate. That that's also a really great question. So as a pediatric ophthalmologist, we have specialized training in children. Mm-hmm. And um, in optometry, I, I don't want to misspeak, to be honest with you, Dr. Berkovich. I don't know how many pediatric fellowships there are for optometry, so I really don't want to misspeak. But one of the things that we are very comfortable with is children who are nonverbal, who are developmentally delayed, who do not speak. So I could do a full exam and know exactly what is going on with the child, what the refraction is, how their retina looks, how the front of their eye looks without them even talking to us. We see a lot of children who are developmentally delayed who don't speak, and we're able to provide that service for them. And we do get a lot of referrals from optometrists that might might not necessarily feel comfortable um, treating children like this.
0: Okay, that's helpful. That's kind of helpful sort of guidelines for figuring out um, how, how that referral process should work. You mentioned amblyopia, and I want to talk a little more about that. Sure. It, it, it's, a, it's a scary sounding word, but I think it's probably not not as scary as sure. much if we talk about what it is. So define it for us, like how common is it? You see it often and what what can be done for
1: it? Sure. So amblyopia basically means poor vision in an eye. So you have to ask yourself as a physician, when I see a patient, why is this child not seeing well? And there are many different reasons why a child could have poor vision. So one is what we call deprivational, meaning there was something that was blocking their vision. Is it because they were born with a droopy lid and that blocked their pupil? The pupil is the black circle that helps let all the light enter into the eye. So was there something that deprived the child from vision? Was it droopy lid or was a child born with a cataract or they develop a cataract? The, a cataract, just explained to people what that is, there's a structure in the eye called a lens, and it's supposed to be a clear structure. And as we get older, it's more in the elderly where it opacifies, where it becomes darker and it's harder to see. But there are some children that are born with that. So that could be one reason why a child has poor vision. Another reason why a child could have poor vision is because they have a strabismus, which means an eye misalignment. Their eyes aren't straight either the eye is crossing or it's going out. Another reason why a child could have poor vision in the eye is because they need glasses. Something as simple as they need glasses. They could either be farsighted, they could be nearsighted, they could have astigmatism, or they could even have a difference in prescription between the two eyes. And the way that the brain works is the brain favors the eye with the lower prescription and uses that eye. And the eye with the much higher prescription, the brain likes to ignore that eye. And that's actually something that we see very, very commonly. I don't know the exact percentage of amblyopia, but I would say that it's very frequent. But as long as we see a child when they are young, there are so many interventions that we could do to help improve a child's vision. And again, intervention is key. The earlier a child is seen, the better off it is for a child and their visual development. Okay, fantastic. So what
0: are what are some common interventions or, and I guess maybe walk us through like a spectrum depending on how severe um, the deformity or the right, the abnormality is. And um, I guess from least invasive right to most invasive, which I'm guessing sure. surgery.
1: Okay, so let's start with the most basic reason why people, children come in is because they have a refractive error, meaning they need glasses. Either they're farsighted, they're nearsighted, or they have astigmatism, which really describes the front of the eye, how the front of the eye is shaped more like a football than a circle. So usually, uh, not usually, when, when the patient comes in, Every single time we refract them, that means we figure out what their prescription is. And if they need glasses, we give the parents a prescription to go to a a glasses store, to an optical, to get glasses. And most of the time, the child wears the glasses and it awakens up their vision. The brain says, wow, I could see clearly now with the glasses on. And the amblyopia, the poor vision resolves. There are some times though that even when the child has the glasses, it's not enough and they need an extra oomph, a little something extra to help with the vision. And One of the things that we do is uh, patching therapy where we patch or we cover the stronger eye and basically you're forcing the brain to utilize the weaker eye. Children don't necessarily like that because all of a sudden you're covering the eye that's doing all the work and you're forcing the eye that doesn't see well to be doing the work. Um, Another intervention, so you're saying from least invasive. So that is, let's say for somebody that has refractive amblyopia, that means that they don't see well because of a glasses issue. Then there are some children who um, their eyes aren't straight. And sometimes the There are many different types of situations. Sometimes the glasses can help strain out their eyes and sometimes it doesn't. And some of those children will need to have eye muscle surgery or strabismus surgery, where basically as a surgeon, I um, have to move the muscle into a better position to help strain out the eye. Or if a child has, let's say, cataracts, you would want to intervene at a very young age and that child will need to have cataract surgery where you remove the cataract. And depending on the age of the child, you may or may not put an intraocular lens into the eye, or if a child has droopiness of the lid, they might have to go to a plastic surgeon for the eyes to lift the lid up. So those are the different things that we could do to help intervene for a child.
0: Fantastic. So it sounds like there's a lot of variability. I think my main takeaway from like all of this is early intervention, like get them, get them in, right? If you have concerns, if the parent has concerns, like- right? Earlier is better than sitting on it. And
1: I will say one thing is that, you know, even if it turns out to be nothing and the eyes are 100% healthy, the worst thing that happens is that the child gets the dilating drops and their eyes are blurry for four to six hours. That's how the the eye drops, the dilating drops worse. I mean, that is really the hardest part of the exam. And you rather make sure that everything is healthy in the eyes. I mean, I'll tell you, I saw a child recently who was about six years old and the parents told me that the child is delayed and the child has such a high prescription. And once the child got the classes on, it was like a whole new world for this child. And so then you wonder, is this child really delayed or is it really because the child couldn't see anything which, which really impacts all your development? I mean, if you can't see, how are you supposed to learn how to crawl, how to walk your depth perception, how to interact with the world? I mean, without our eyes, what are we? I mean, our eyes is the, one of the most important
0: senses. That's really powerful. And actually it's a great segue to my next question, which is vision therapy. So i get got a lot of questions about this and I find It's maybe, I don't know, happening more frequently now for whatever reason. Parents asked me about the value of vision therapy. And surprisingly, I'm hearing about it in context, not just of a potential visual deficit, but of like all sorts of things like learning disabilities, right? Sometimes people whose kids are on the spectrum want to know about vision therapy. Talk to me a little bit about that. And and do we think there's
1: any benefit to it? Okay. So it's a little... I'm going to be honest, vision therapy is a little bit of a loaded question in the sense that, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but there's two very different schools of thought between optometry and ophthalmology. So just to explain what vision therapy is, what the definition is, it's it's really a term used by optometrists, not by ophthalmologists. And vision therapy is really defined as uh, an attempt to develop or improve visual skills and abilities and to change visual processing. Now, there's two parts to our vision and I'm going to break it down, is that there's one part from paper to the eyes, that's one part of our processing. And the second part is from our eyes to our brain. So as an ophthalmologist, if there is an issue between paper to eye, meaning is a child need glasses, they're having a hard time seeing, let's say, quote unquote, the paper that we could help with. But when it comes from the eye to the brain and the processing, unfortunately, there are no studies that show that there are any benefits to the therapies that are out there. However, there is one situation in pediatric ophthalmology that we see that therapy can help a child. And I'm going to explain what that situation is. There is an eye condition called convergence insufficiency, also known as CI, which is basically a fancy way of saying that the eyes are having a hard time converging or going all the way in towards the nose. So you can imagine when you're trying to read something, our eyes naturally try to converge. They try to go in towards our nose. So if a child is having a hard time with their muscles, bringing their eyes in towards their nose and the eyes are drifting out, it can cause reading issues like skipping words when they read, skipping lines when they read. Sometimes some children could even have terrible headaches at the end of the school day, or they could even have blurry vision when they're looking from distance to near. And this is the one situation in pediatric ophthalmology where we do have exercises called orthoptics where we could train the muscles to converge, to bring them in towards the nose. However, when it comes to the problems between the eye and the brain, the visual processing, unfortunately, there are no good therapies for that. And at that point, we really recommend a really good school psychologist to evaluate the child or a really good reading therapist for the parents to really save their money and to use those resources to help the child out. Okay.
0: Fantastic. I think that was, that was a great answer to, you know, I think what probably would have been, you know, con- I know a little bit of controversy around that, but I think that's really helpful and important context to have in terms of what, what works and what doesn't. So we talked a lot about abnormalities, like early referral, right. Early intervention identification. Sure. Let's talk prevention. What can parents do to sort of encourage healthy vision, healthy vision development, any, anything that parents can do to prevent some of these abnormalities from developing?
1: There are a few studies that show that by playing outside, the sunlight is actually very, help, very helpful in delaying myopic progression. Meaning if a child is nearsighted or might become nearsighted, the sunlight is actually very helpful in delaying that. We don't understand exactly why that is, but it's there are some studies that show that. And the other thing that's also very important is try to not be on the device for many hours a day, the tablet, the TV, the phone. And, you know, I'll tell you, Dr. Deverkovich, before the pandemic, I was very strict with my children about screen time and TV and tablet time. But I have four children and I, like any parent, was trying to survive the pandemic and it got to a certain point where everything went out the window and my kids watch too much TV. So I, I'm going to, let me just, re, let me just like yeah. get rid of your, as a pediatrician, let me get rid of that guilt for you right no, now. I, like,
0: there's no guilt around that. It was, it's like, I tell my, my patients like survival mode, we're in survival mode. no, uh, so that's 100%. okay. Even, you know, the AP went back and revised some of the guidelines that we were giving through screen time. So whatever guilt you had as a parent, no, like I, I, it's gone. My
1: magic. No, I, 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 I really appreciate you saying that. No, I mean, because I tell the parents, because some parents get very upset when their child comes in and their prescription has increased. And I tell them, I'm like, we're all trying to survive. No, I I agree 100%. This really, the past two years has really been about survival. But I will tell you, and something that I have seen over the past two years is because of the pandemic and children have not been outside and they've been on the screens all the time, the progression of nearsighted has increased tremendously. And usually we see myopic progression that when you're nearsighted, it's, it's supposed to be that your eyes grow and the prescription changes, but at the rate that it's growing has been so much higher through the pandemic. And it's very hard. It is very hard. I mean, one of the things that I do try to tell parents is that if your child is going to be on a screen, try to at least give them a break every 20 minutes, close the eyes Let the eyes rest for a few minutes because when you're staring at a screen for a long time, you're not blinking your eyes enough. The eyes get dry, the surface of the eye gets very dry. You could get fatigue, headache. So it's very important that if they are going to be on the screen to at least take frequent breaks if possible. So is it the distance that they're sitting to the
0: screen or the amount of screen time itself or like the combination?
1: It's not even so much the TV, it's more the devices that are an issue. To be honest with you, it's not really the TV, it's more the phones and the tablets.
0: So it so okay. So it really sounds like it's it's the, the screens are the issue. So right, for example, I have a kid who likes to read a lot and she reads tons and tons, and a lot of times like the book is right right in front of her face. So right. that really is not something that you guys are seeing evolve into, you know, issues
1: later on. No, right? no I mean that should be our biggest issue is that I children think. are reading well. <laughs>
0: Okay. So, so more outside time, less screen time. Sounds like all of that, right? Helps.
1: If, if, and that, possible, That's almost always the
0: answer to like a lot of issues in pediatrics, but, right?
1: But, but if possible, listen, like you said, it's really about survival. and We're all just really trying to survive right
0: now. Okay. All right. Fantastic. You know, my next question was going to be, what are you seeing? Like, what changes are you seeing in your practice since the start of the pandemic? And I think you kind of answered that, right? You're seeing a higher incidence of of vision problems as a result of increased screen time. 100%. Anything else that Anything else that you're seeing like more of? Are you finding that people are maybe like ending up seeing you later than they otherwise would have as a result of pandemic fears? Anything similar to that?
1: I want to be very careful how I phrase this. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic um, and the fear of seeing sick children, there have been unfortunately some misdiagnoses by primary care, which has been very sad, to be honest with you. And I'll just give you one example. Um, I saw a a baby, I don't know, a few months ago, who um, had seen their primary care doctor um, for tearing of the eyes, and what kept the parents were told that it was pink eye. It was pink eye. It was pink eye, and they came in to see me, and the baby had congenital glaucoma, meaning they were born with glaucoma, and glaucoma is actually uh one of the main reasons why a child could be tearing as a baby that's what we have to whenever we see a baby for tearing we always have to make sure that it's not glaucoma um so i would say that if a parent has a concern about something and something is not sitting right with them just to give us a call we see emergency patients all the time we have cancellations all the time we have openings all the time as a parent we have a sixth sense so if something just doesn't sound right to you, please call us. We'd rather it be nothing than be something, you know, terrible. Okay.
0: All right. That's, that's helpful. And hopefully, you know, the incidence of, of that will start decreasing a little bit as, as right people right. get and, a little and bit more, more comfortable. And, and
1: just to tell the parent, that's very, very uncommon. It just, you know, not everything could be caught properly on telemedicine. So again, if a parent has a concern, please call us. We are, we are seeing every patient, whether they're sick or not. I mean, I work with Dr. Billards Dr. Canterman. We're all triple vaccinated. I mean, we're seeing everybody. We're not scared. Uh, we're seeing everybody at this point. So come on in. Really. Good, good. Fantastic. So that sounds like
0: a good takeaway. Any other sort of like a, to, to tie this all up, any other major takeaways? What's like the one thing that you really want parents to know about, about healthy vision or about vision in kids? What's like your main sort of like message as a pediatric ophthalmologist?
1: Really early intervention, like we said, is key. I cannot stress that enough. Even if you do not have a concern for your child, please have them evaluated before they start school. Because again, if children have a vision issue, they don't always realize. And don't be shy to come in that if you're worried about something, it's important to address your concerns. If you feel like your child's eyes are crossing or going out, whether it is or isn't, have them evaluated. Like I said, the hardest part of the eye exam is having the eyes dilated. It's getting those drops in and that only lasts 10 seconds. So really come on in. Let's make sure that your children's eyes are healthy because early intervention is key to healthy eyes. Fantastic. Thank you so much. This was so helpful. I learned so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Make sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for joining us on Kids Talk Talk.